0: Our scripture for today comes from the book of Hebrews. Today, I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 12. I'll be reading just the first couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses, verses 1 and 2. My friends, I offer to you today the uh, the Word of God, the authoritative Word of the Living God, upon which our lives, when lived best, are lived according to this Word. Will you please stand now as we share together God's Holy Word? at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. A few years ago, someone gave me a special, special gift. It did not cost a lot of money. It was not large or ostentatious in any way. It is a little book, entitled The Language of Letting Go. The Language of Letting Go. It is written by Melody Beatty. I've shared some things with my staff from this. It is one of my treasured possessions. I I certainly have to read a lot of things, but this is a great, great piece, The Language of Letting Go. Maybe some of you have read her work or, or, or have seen some of her work In her work, Melody Beatty deals with the central struggle every human being has to identify what are the things and people in my life that I need to keep and move forward, and what are the things in my life that are, and people in my life that I need to let go of. I didn't do a very good job saying that, but I'll say it again. What are the things in my life that I need to keep and that will help propel me forward? And what are the things and people in my life that I need to release and let go? In order to be spiritually healthy, in order to be emotionally healthy, where are those challenges? As you do an uh, an inventory, a personal inventory What are the things and who are the people who serve to strengthen you? And who are the people and what are the things that serve to zap you? Where are they? Her premise is that generally speaking, every person operates from either a healthy core or an unhealthy core. And there are different markers along the spectrum, of course, but we are so identified by what and whom we allow into the core of who we are. That was a lot of s- a statement there. We are so defined by what and whom we allow into the core of who we are. Melody Beatty is not the first person to talk about that. The Bible in a number of places, deals with this theme, this idea that there are some things we need to hold on to and there are some things we need to release, things we need to let go of. And one of the places it deals with it is in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if you look at those first two verses, they comprise what a preacher would look at it and call the perfect four-point sermon. And if you want to do a four-sermon series, that possibility is there as as well. It begins by telling us that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, that there are people in our support system who have died. I did a graveside service yesterday for someone, and family had gathered. It wasn't large or anything like that, but family had gathered, and they talked prior to the graveside beginning about what a powerful Source of encouragement and support, this person had been. They were 10 days short of their 96th birthday. And up until very near the end, they were such a strong source of support. And I was able to say to them, The scripture teaches they will still support you. They are what Carlisle Marney calls our balcony people. That's encouraging to me, and I hope it is to you, to know that there are people who cheer us on, who encourage us, some in my family, some in my church family, some in my community, and there are people who've already gone to heaven. There is this tremendous support system we have called the cloud of witnesses. And then the second thing the couple of verses point out is that we need to get rid of everything that gets in the way. And especially the sins and the habits and the poor choices that it says cling so closely to us. We have to intentionally eliminate those things from our lives. I'm going to say something here and you need to really hang on to it. Everyone who comes into your life isn't meant to be there forever. There are people who come into your life, some are meant to be with you for as long as you can possibly be with them forever, but there are some people who are meant to be there for a season, and then you move on and they move on. The third thing the passage points out is that we are to keep on growing. You and I can't stay static. In fact, that's why you come to church That's why you participate in Bible studies and Sunday school classes, because you're wanting to grow. You and I are a work in progress, aren't we? We are in progress. Our spiritual development is being done on an ongoing basis. The last thing the passage points out is that we're to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, because everything depends on where our focus is in life. we will automatically gravitate toward what we focus on, whether that's a thing or a person. We are to keep focused on Jesus because what we focus on, we move toward. And what we move toward, we tend to become like. So that's the first couple of verses of chapter 12, Hebrews I want to zero in on this whole concept, though, for a few moments of getting rid of everything that gets in the way. I have no idea what that might be for you. I have no idea what that might look like in your life that you perhaps need to get rid of or address or deal with. But after 30-plus years of pastoral ministry... I do know some of the things that are the part of the lives of so many people and that delay their growth. I do know some of the things that are part of people's lives that stunt their their growth and their ability to be connected to God and they're strong in their faith. And so what I want to do for just a few moments this morning is mention, generally speaking, two or three of the things that tend to stunt our spiritual growth and things we need to deal with or they're going to deal with us. First thing I want to mention to you is that we must deal with resentments. We must, if we are to be healthy people spiritually, let go of resentments we have toward other people. Now, you've heard sermon upon sermon upon sermon over the years, I'm sure, about this, but this is a spiritual health matter. Melody Beatty, in her book, makes two really great observations about resentment. She says, first of all, that resentment, she says it like this, resentment is a hardened chunk of anger. Think about that visual. Because... That's that's pretty powerful. It's a hardened chunk of anger. The truth is every one of us gets mad sooner or later. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, the Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says don't stay angry. What we're talking about here, though, is more than that. Resentment is a hardened chunk of anger where we get mad and we stay mad and it develops into a solid presence in our lives. And if we're not careful, there can become an unhealthy obsession about the thing or person we resent. And the truth is, Many times we've been mad at someone for so long and resented them for so long that we can't even remember how, what it was that eventually, originally made us mad. We just know we're supposed to be mad at them. And that's the second observation Melody Beatty makes. She says, "Resentment, resentments do not punish the other person. They punish you. Chew on that today resentments don't punish the other person they punish you if you have a resentment toward another person or a group of people that's probably not doing them one bit of harm but it's doing you a great deal of harm so we have to get rid of resentments not to make it easy on others not to let them off the hook No, we get rid of resentments because they hurt us. They punish us. And we want to grow spiritually. And these things can stunt that. One of the tough things Jesus said, one of the things people have a really difficult time with is Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek. To them. Remember that? Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, why did Jesus say that? Was it because he wanted us to look weak and not stand up for ourselves? Was it because Jesus was kind of wanted us to sort of be mealy-mouthed and milk toast and, and really not have much back? Why did Jesus say something like that? I think Jesus understood and we need to understand that resentment and revenge when left to marinate in the soul are deadly. Resentment and revenge when left to marinate in the soul are deadly. You've heard me say this before. Resentment is like a poison. It always does more to the vessel in which it is stored than the object on which it is poured. We need to get rid of, we need to get rid of resentment. Because it goes with us into the future and it needs to be let go of and left alone. Is there someone or someone or some group against whom you've been harboring ill will? Well what a highly personal question. What a highly personal question. Is there someone or someones or some, is there something that's happened to you and you can't get past it? It's just marinating in your soul. Let me encourage you to look hard at that. And let me encourage you as your pastor and someone who loves you. Let me encourage you to deal with it or it will deal with you. Let it go. The second thing that comes to mind as we look at this passage and something we need to let go of is not only do we need to let go of resentments, we need to let go of grief. That's right, grief. The wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes says this. It says there's a time to weep and a time to refrain from weeping. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Please notice, it does not say there are people who are sorrowful and there are people who are joyful. It does not say there are people whose destiny it is to mourn and there are people whose destiny it is to dance. It doesn't say that. It says that for you and me, And for every person, for every person, there are times of sadness and there are times of gladness. So if this is a good time in your life, if things are moving along fairly well for you, nothing has imploded or exploded in your life, things are going along all right, I just want to nudge you and remind you that there will come a time somewhere along the way when you will deal with some form of grief. And as I stand here today and as people are listening via Facebook, I know that there are people who are in a season of grief. Some of them connected to the church, some of them connected beyond the church. And there are all kinds of grief. Maybe that's the loss of a loved one a loss that's affected your immediate family when a person has lived and has touched so many lives and they go to be with God can i just tell you we know letting them go to be with God is is a good thing but it's still hard isn't it it's still hard because they've made such a tremendous impact. But but that's not the only kind of grief. That's not the only kind of loss. There are financial losses. There are relational losses. There are job losses. There are health losses. Grief presents itself in so many ways. But in order to move back into life, we need, we need to address it. Let me tell you a true story. There were two boys, <clears throat> Harold McGilberry and Johnny Overstreet. They were both about 12 years old, and they were riding a motor scooter one day about two blocks from the school. And not paying attention, Harold McGilberry and Johnny Overstreet ran a stop sign. And when they did, a truck plowed into their scooter and Harold McGilberry and Johnny Overstreet were both killed instantly the McGilberries had two children they had a daughter and a son Harold Harold was a great athlete great young uh, little athlete he was a great student He he was a tremendous kid and they lost him And the whole community was engulfed with grief over the loss of these two young boys. But Mrs. McGilberry later on would say this, but Mrs. McGilberry took grief as a way of life for her. And every day, you listening to me? Every day for 15 years, she took flowers to her son's grave every day. She dropped out of church. She dropped out of the clubs she was part of. She dropped out of the friend groups she was part of. She dropped out of life to forever grieve the loss of her son. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to mourn. And I am in no way suggesting that you rush through it. That's not, if you're hearing that, don't hear that. I'm simply saying, morning is a season, not a permanent residence. Morning is a season, but it's not meant to be permanent. Because there is supposed to be a time to dance again. It is what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Everybody, if you've lived very long, everybody can talk about a dark night of the soul. Everybody can talk about something that's rocked their world and it's caused them to grieve. And by the way, there are some people who don't adequately grieve. I know that. But there is a time to mourn. But there is a time to dance again. When we experience loss, we grieve. So we need to deal with resentments. And we need to deal with grief. There may be people in the room who are in the sound of my voice who are listening right now, and you're lodged in one of those you're lodged in it you're just kind of stunned you're there you're stuck in it i'm not trying to be ugly i never would i'm simply saying it's meant to be a season not a permanent residence there's resentment and then there's grief i want to look at one more thing we need to let go of that and i've learned this over the years and it's sort of a general oversight but If we're to have spiritual health, we need to deal with resentment. We need to deal with grief. But we also need to deal with guilt. Guilt. Now guilt is a tricky thing, isn't it? Because if you're guilty, you ought to feel guilty, right? Here's how Melody Beatty defines guilt. She says, guilt is the feeling or thought that what we did did. Is not okay. Guilt is the feeling or thought that what we did is not okay. It's an indicator that our behavior needs to change. But then she says, this is so interesting. She goes on and she says, Guilt and shame are not the same thing. You know, some people use those two words interchangeably, right? She says, Guilt. Is a feeling or thought that what we did is not okay. Shame is an overwhelming negative sense that who you are is not okay. Who you are. The significant voices in your life, we all have them, right? The significant voices in your life over time have said, You're never gonna mount to anything, you're useless. You deserve everything that's coming to you. And guess what I've learned? Is that those significant voices listened to over a period of time sink in. They sink in. If you've done something wrong, you ought to feel guilty about it until such time as you've repented it and confessed it and and God has removed it. Here's the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible says, if we will confess our sin, you know, you've heard me say before, God can't correct what you won't confront. If if we will confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us because God is more ready to forgive you than you are to ask for it. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness." That's what the Bible says. But we have to do our part. So I simply want to ask you today, how are you doing? How are you doing? You do know that people can look great on the outside and be dying on the inside, right? You do know that people can look great on the outside and be dealing with or something's eating them up. In You do know that. So I'll ask the question again. How are you doing? There's an old song. We don't sing it as much anymore, but it is core to our faith. I'm not going to sing it, and you'll appreciate that. But the words are something like, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, But I love that old cross for the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. That's a good way to remember all this today. Are you dealing with some resentment? Are you dealing with some grief? Are you dealing with some guilt? I want you to know that before you die, God wants you to live. You know that there's some, you can can just go through the motions, right? Before you leave this world, God wants you to live, and I'm inviting you to do that today. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for reminding us that we must look at, confront, pay attention to the things that hold us back, the things that get in the way. And oh God, you are more ready to do the work in us than we are even to ask you. And so today, give us the courage to bring to you all that we are and place it at the foot of the cross to place it before You and call on You, O God, call on You to daily help us move toward health and healing. Thank You for Your love for us and Your grace. We offer this in the name of Jesus and all of His people said, Amen. Amen.